People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Now, my guest this week is a young South African composer, musician, and teacher, Liam Pitcher, who's known primarily for blending elements of classical, electroacoustic, and electronics, as well as his distinctive piano improvisations. And it was the concept of piano improvisations that actually got me interested in what Liam was doing, because I think this is rather extraordinary. He has released 10 CDs of improvisation on the piano just very recently, released both locally and internationally. So, Liam, I want to find out all about what improvisation means to you. But welcome, first of all, to People of Note. Thank you very much for having me, Rodney. I've been so looking forward to sitting down with you and discussing everything. Well, now... As I said in my little introduction, Liam, there's a lot to find out about you, and I am just intrigued by this improvisatory thing. For someone to go into a studio, and I know you work with Patrick van Blerk, whom we know on Fine Music Radio, and record 10 CDs of improvisation. What was that all about? What was the inspiration? Tell me about these 10 CDs. Make me want to buy one, or them all. <laughs> I mean, I wish that you would buy one. I think that digital streaming has trumped digital downloads in this day and age. So if you want to buy one, please be my guest. Go ahead, because if you stream them on Spotify, I'm only going to earn $0.0004. Oh, that's important. Um, that's important. But I digress. These improvisations are something that I've been wanting to do for many years. Improvising is something that I've been doing since I was about 14 years old. I sat down in the Bishop's Chapel where I went to school, and I just started kind of playing whatever my hands wanted to play within my favorite key at the time, which was C minor, the only key I could really navigate. And this kind of free um, letting go of the hands is how it all began. And I started doing this daily. I would go to the church, and for hours at a time, I would just sit and improvise. And years down the line, after having studied um, music theory and music composition with Hendrik Hoffmeyer at UCT, I started incorporating the principles of composition, the principles of theory into the improvisation, started developing them. And really what I wanted to be able to do was to play something immediately that sounded like a real piece of music, something that had been written. Now, I don't know if I fully achieved that in all of the improvisations just yet, but certainly in some of them. And... Um, until I met Patrick van Blerk, who invited me over to the studio for a talk. Um, they had a beautiful Kauai piano there, and uh, it was not in such great shape. But I said, look, Patrick, if you fix this piano up, I would be happy to you know, strike a deal with you regarding recording here, um, etc. And um, lo and behold, within a week, he actually got hold of me and said, the piano's ready for you. And finally, I had a place to record these improvisations that I'd worked hard for many, many years on. At this point, um, really 11 years I'd been practicing improvising and so I really wanted to you know take full advantage of the situation and so I for a period of about six months came in once a week for a period of four hours and I just improvised full on um, four hours straight and then we chose the best from each session and um, they were all mixed and mastered at Cape Town Sound Studios which was such a pleasure. One of the things that bewilders me is that the very nature of improvisation means you might not be able to do the same thing again. Mm. Is that right? So the CDs that you have released, what you've done now, 
are you able to perform them in public or are they spontaneous? Uh, they're down now for posterity. But how do you repeat an improvisation? There are artists such as Esther Stone, for example, on the guitar who improvise a piece and um, when they play it at, at different places, it sounds slightly different, although there are elements that are recurring. So I think that I could reach a certain um, level of reproduction with the improvisations, especially because I've listened to them many hundreds of times now. But um, I would probably be able to reach some level you know, of uh, repetition, but certainly not e exactly or precisely. Okay. And improvisation, you often think, is improvising on a theme, mm. like a cadenza in a concerto, for example. Where do you set out with your improvisation? I loved what you said about your hands being free, wandering across mm. a keyboard and sort of doing what they want to. But there must surely be some form of structure uh, in your mind. Do you take a theme and improvise on it, or is that simplifying it too much? There have been times where I've taken existing themes and improvised on them. My piece Energy, for example, which is in the fifth volume, it finishes the fifth volume, there is a theme that I enjoyed from the Gorillas. funny enough, when I was very young. I used to listen to their music a lot. And uh, I threw that theme into this jazz prelude improvisation, and I improvised around it. But usually what will happen is I will sit down at the piano, I will think to myself, all right, the idea of, you know, this set of notes interests me. Perhaps I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, and the form structure is going to be this. And with these basic guidelines in my mind, I will then begin improvising, and whatever motivic material arises in the beginning is usually what I then develop on. So I don't usually have a theme in my mind, although sometimes I do get themes in my head, and I think that's a great idea. Let's linger on this now. Let's perhaps take a few takes with this theme and see what comes out. And how long is an improvisation? <laughs> As long as one feels in the moment, I suppose, it's important. As you said, it is a nice idea that the hands just kind of flow, but there has to be structure, and it's easy for something to become repetitive if there is no specific structure or ideas behind the improvisation. So a lot of the time, I just know when to stop. I feel like the piece has concluded. It's come to its natural conclusion. Sometimes I'll move beyond that to provoke, but most of the time it kind of concludes itself around, on average, about five to seven minutes. But there are shorter ones, and um, as we will be listening to at the end of this session, for those who are going to stick around, <laughs> um, there is an improvisation that I recorded recently at the Baxter Theatre that is 33 minutes long, and that was actually premeditated slightly, so we can speak more about that a little later. Okay. Well, now you've brought, I specifically asked you to bring your own music along. Mostly I get my guests to bring music that inspired them, but this whole improvisatory idea is intriguing me, as you can tell. So, Liam, thank you for bringing your own, and what is the first piece we're going to hear? Tell us what it is and what to listen for. So, this piece is called Warm-Up Improvisation in C-sharp major, and I titled it that because that's exactly what it was, really. Um, I, as I said, I recently recorded at the Baxter Theatre. It was my second time recording there, and I recorded six works. And this was the first, and it really was just meant as a warm-up, but we had the microphones running, and it turned out quite special. And uh, you may hear some interesting harmonic progressions in this piece that you're not so used to, um, as well as some very memorable themes and uh, the development of those themes.
Well, now, that piece is actually called Warm Up, uh, performed by my guest on People of Note this week here on Fine Music Radio, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions, Liam Pitcher, who is playing it for us. And I have to say, the impression that I get is quite different from I expected, because you tend to think of improvisation as someone just doodling, for want of a better word, on the piano. But there was definitely a, 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 almost a narrative there, harmonically and everything else, where it's going somewhere. It's not just sort of background music. Am I saying the right thing? Because I see you smiling. Yes, you definitely are, and I'm pleased that you picked up on that. Because, as I said before, you know, I really am trying to make these pieces even more so now in this session, which was recorded after the 10 albums, trying to make these pieces sound like pre-written compositions where I can. Do you ever write anything down, talking about pre-written compositions? Do you ever write anything down or is it all flowing through you? With the improvisations, I actually have notated some after having played them, um, but I haven't done that for any in the 10 volumes, only prior improvisations. And I do compose instrumental music as well, and um, the next piece that we'll be listening to in a few minutes will actually be a pre-written composition played by me at the Baxter Theatre, funny enough, (laughs) in the first recording session there. But um, yes, that is a pre-written composition, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to hear the difference. Okay. But the other thing you mentioned just before the music, the word jazz came up. (laughs) And you do associate improvisation a lot with jazz. They seem, jazz musicians seem to have almost perfected the art of improvisation. And if it's not there, it doesn't seem to be a great piece. So... Are there jazz influences as well in what you do? There aren't actually many jazz influences in what I do. Interestingly enough, um, I really wanted to set myself apart by improvising in the classical style, something that seems to be lost. You know, you do get fantastic improvisers who will improvise a fugue on a theme in the style of Bach or who can improvise in the style of Mozart. But I seldom hear something truly unique in classical improvisation, and that's something that I wanted to set me apart from other people. There are those famous stories, aren't there, of Beethoven having improvisation sessions in Vienna and even competitions with someone else, because that, if I remember, was all improvised. Beethoven would improvise, as would someone else, and that sort of is what you're talking about, classical improvisation, but that is unique to you. Yes, um, and of course we are in the contemporary age of classical music. Much has happened in the past thousand years with many, many styles and influences having emerged. So I think what Beethoven was improvising is definitely going to be slightly different to what I am today, although there are people um, who might improvise in the style of Beethoven. And I think it should be a prerequisite to improvising that you should practice to improvise in the style of any composer. And someone who is unparalleled at that is my teacher, Richard de Toy. He's, I mean an absolute master at it. He will say, sing a theme, and all of a sudden he'll just improvise a fugue on it or improvise a piece in the style of Mozart or Beethoven, even Scriabin. He's so diverse, it's incredible. You actually were very complimentary about Rocher Dutoy, whom we know very well on the station, obviously, um, as a musician, as an organist. But you said to me in a discussion we had, a meeting about this interview, that when you went to him, he kind of unlocked something for you, piano playing. Are you able to explain that? Yes, so I had been learning the piano since I was 10 years old, before I met Rocher, and 
I never felt that I could control the sound that I had at the piano. I could sometimes get a nice sound by accident, but for the most part, I couldn't consistently reproduce what I wanted to express until he took me right back and we literally went back to C major one finger at a time. You know, he showed me how to sit down properly. That was the first lesson, 45 minutes. And for well, the how past... To sit. Of how to sit. We didn't touch <laughs> the keys. I mean, it was that specific. And I'm telling you, I had severe middle back pain when I would sit at the piano for just 15 minutes. And after that singular lesson, I can sit for six hours and not get so I, people often marvel at how I can just play for hours and um, without even getting up and it's because there is actually a method to how to sit at the piano and many teachers had attempted to show me that before and unfortunately they couldn't fix the problems that I had although it might work for some other people but this method seems to have worked for all my students as well which is great and uh, yes he just trained a technique that allowed me to have control over the sound and I'm still with him and still learning um, and it's wonderful to be improving on a weekly basis you know. Does he encourage your improvisatory skills and interest? <laughs> Roger believes that improvisation is something that you're just a born genius at and that you can't learn. I'm quite uh, fond of trying to prove him wrong in that respect, but um, he, <laughs> he, he's been encouraging in very kind of hard ways, you know, as a teacher is. For example, I, I posted an improvisation recently. It was a scherzo on Facebook, and he saw it, and I sat down in my lesson, and he just absolutely ripped me to shreds about it. He said, you can't just post this and do this and this and this, and your finger is sticking out like this. You know, people will think you play like this. I mean, he's that specific, and he has such a love for the art. He said that when he first came to South Africa, he played in a recital and Lamar Krausen, the great South African-American pianist, was there and he saw him play and Rocher played the great repertoire. He played his own compositions and he improvised all in the same recital and he said that's what the great performers did and that's an art that has become lost and it really has inspired me. And so I constantly just strive to try and uh, be my best for his sake. It's interesting also that you say sound because you know I think a lot of people who listen to piano music concentrate on technique which obviously has to be superb mm -hmm. because if you want to play the great repertoire of Rachmaninoff and Liszt but sound is something magical isn't it and special and you're saying that Roche helped you with that. He did because what I didn't realize before was that technique and musicality cannot be separated. In order to produce a certain sound, you need to move in a certain way deliberately. 100% of the time, you need to be able to reproduce a consistent action. And when your arms are just freely flapping all over the place, you cannot do that. And so he has been teaching me gradually these deliberate actions that have been well documented over many years, most of which come from the teachings of Tobias Maté, of which Rocher was a student of two students of Maté as well as many other prolific pianists and uh, chamber music composers, etc. I have an urge to hear another piece now. <laughs> you've got me intrigued. What is the next piece you've chosen for us? So this piece is my Aeolian Dance. It's my first prelude, Opus 2, Number 1. And this is a piece that actually began in Hendrik Hofmeyer's composition class. We were asked to write um, seven aphorisms on the white keys of the piano and at first it was quite plain because of this but the theme was very beautiful so later on I revisited it I kept the name the Aeolian dance which does refer to the white keys of the piano only however I have now since added chromatic notes or black keys as well to make it more harmonically interesting Thank you. 
That was an Aeolian dance, a prelude, Opus 2, number 1, written and performed by my guest on People of Note this week, Liam Pitcher. And we're talking about uh, improvisation, and Liam has recently recorded 10 CDs of his improvisations, which have just been released and are available to be downloaded. But more details of that later. I wanted to find out, Liam, you spoke very highly of Rocher de Tour. You also speak very highly, and you mentioned just now, of Hendrik Hofmeier, one of our distinguished composers. And I want to just, if you don't mind, read what you said. I could get you to read. In fact, you read it, because <laughs> you're the one that said it. Certainly. Um, from there. This feels strange reading it ad lib, but I will in any case. Yes. Hendrik Hofmeier is in league with the great composers and teachers. His understanding of what came before us, as well as the historical progression of music, devices, and meaning, is unparalleled in the modern world. He has personally unlocked concealed secrets which are hidden deep within the schools of great composers, and has been generous enough to share what he knows with his students. That's a quote from my guest, Liam Pitcher, about Hendrik Hofmeier, and a lovely, warm, sincere quote that as well. So obviously he has affected you in some way, Hendrik Hofmeier. Did he teach you composition, or what was his contribution to your life? He taught me music theory from third year onwards at the University of Cape Town, and he also taught me orchestration from second year orchestration and composition from second year composition onwards. And it wasn't until... I was in his class that I really had such a passion for composition and for music theory. He really sparked something in me from the very first class. For the first time in my life, I felt interested in these things. And um, that is when I think I really decided I, I need to be a composer of instrumental classical music. Okay. We're listening to Liam Pitcher here on People of Note, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. And I now want to go just back a little bit to what made you want to take up the piano in the first place. Where does the music in you come from? Hmm. A musical family or a magical moment or how did it happen? My dearest mother does not have a musical bone in her body, <laughs> bless her soul. My father actually plays um, as the lead vocalist and guitarist in a band called Cheap Thrills. If you want to check them out, I'm sure he'll be very pleased that I've mentioned that. My late grandfather was a great lover of classical music and he always nurtured me as a pianist and he nurtured my love of music. There would always be some of the great melodies, you know, Chopin or Liszt or Beethoven, whatever it may have been, playing when we went to visit him. And we lived with, with him for some time when I was younger, so I was always exposed to classical music. But um, as a pianist, it all began when my parents bought this little MIDI keyboard that they put in the garage of our home. And um, this MIDI keyboard would play preset songs and the keys would light up when the songs played. And so I would stand there for hours just looking at the keys lighting up and I had to restart the piece, you know, these old-fashioned things, so what, 20 years ago? Yes. Um, <laughs> I had to restart the piece every time to see what the next note would be. And I actually learned the pieces this way. I, was, I seemed to be obsessed with learning these pieces. It really just spoke to me in some way, even though it was just a little digital keyboard. And my old school, Western Province Preparatory School, they actually offered keyboard lessons, digital keyboard lessons. And so um, we went to see if they did, and they did. And so I took keyboard lessons, and this turned into piano and basic music theory lessons there. And um, then, you know, here we are, a few years down the line, <laughs> and... <laughs> But you also do so many things. So that gives us an idea now of your background learning, coming to the piano and coming to music. What about, you must have done the great composers. You must play them. Are you, could you do a piano recital, for example, of Beethoven or Liszt or Mozart or Debussy or Haydn? 
Um, yes, I could if uh, if I prepared well enough. Of course, these things take a tremendous amount of time to prepare for, and I have the greatest respect for concert pianists who spend hours and hours practicing a day to produce these recitals. As I have mentioned to you before in our meetings, I prefer the concept of being an improvising performer because it's something that I've worked at for hours and hours and hours. It's something that I really have something to say with. Um, I think that perhaps if I had been with Rochev from age of six, I could have been a great concert pianist. But it isn't something that uh, that kind of truly interests me as much as composition, as much as improvising, as much as teaching music. But yes, I would definitely be able to kind of put together a basic <laughs> recital if I was given enough time. But time is really the primary factor. Of course. And you've mentioned teaching a few times, and I said you're a teacher. Is that an important part of your life? Is it something you enjoy and sort of feel compelled to do? Yes, it is, especially having been exposed to some truly great teachers and and the impact that they've had on me has been very inspiring and um, I always strive to relay what has been taught to me to my students. It is really privy knowledge that you cannot find on the internet. This In this vast age of information, you cannot learn these things online. I think that's something very special. And it's a great responsibility to hand these things down as they have been handed down because it's the only way that that knowledge will continue. What do you teach? Do you teach piano playing, harmony, theory, that sort of thing? Yes. So I'll often insist that my piano students learn music theory. Um, and sometimes they'll come for multiple subjects, so music theory and composition. I have a specific student who comes for piano, music theory, music composition, and electronic music production all at once. Um, and then I also teach online, sometimes um, electronic music overseas. I have a student in Edinburgh, and um, he will get on a team viewer and Zoom audio call with me, and he will play me what he's been working on, and I will simply advise him over the call, uh, you know, you can do this better, you can do that better. Mm-hmm. So it really... Is quite diverse. Yes, and this brings us to your electronic side, because mm. I mentioned also at the beginning electroacoustic and electronica. Now, where does this come from, this interest? And I think you've got a piece coming up, haven't we? Yes, we of do. Electronic music of yours. Is this the first time that electronic music will ever have been played on fine music radio? No. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'm being facetious, but I, I seldom do hear um, electronic art music on any radio, to be honest. Now, you see, you've muddied the water a bit by saying electronic art music. What does that mean, or what are you trying to say? So what I'm trying to say is that you're not going to hear a kick drum on every beat of the bar. You know, This is not four-to-the-floor dance music, although there was a time where I did produce electronic dance music, and I enjoyed it very much. But I I feel that my true voice is in applying the principles of classical composition to the electronic medium. So what you will be hearing shortly in in this piece, Foghorn, is a six-part contrapuntal work. That means there are six individual electronic synths doing their own thing, but they kind of all come together to form this piece, and there's real development, there's a real form structure, there are real themes, um, and I also have incorporated sound effects in a very interesting way. I wanted to treat real sounds that you hear in the real world as instruments within this electronic setting, because it is in, it's infinite what you can do with this new sound world. For me, it's the only way to truly push forward what we have learned for the past thousand years in classical music. So this piece is called Foghorn. Yes. Written and performed by you. So it isn't actually performed. It was pre-composed oh, yes, completely. Of course, um, this piece was inspired at, at my holiday home in Padanasta. I was lying in bed one evening, and I knew that I wanted to write a piece about the general environment there, perhaps the foghorn that sounded every evening. Um, specifically when I was a child, I remember the sound quite prominently. 
And as well as that, we also had these ceiling fans that had a very specific switch sound. You would pull down a chain and they would turn on. And of course, those ceiling fans are varying degrees. And I was lying in bed and the fan was going above me. And uh, I heard the foghorn in the distance on my right. And then I turned over on my side and all of a sudden the fan was on my left and the foghorn was coming from in front of me. So this interesting juxtaposition of space came to play. And so I thought, hmm, how can I turn this into a piece of music? So the piece very much explores this element of space. There's a lot of panning and uh, it uses real sound effects such as switches and the foghorn itself. And, you know, a company that accompanies the electronically synthesized sounds.
I definitely think that was a sort of um, premiere of that sort of music on Fine Music Radio. What do you say, Leon? <laughs> As I said, I certainly haven't heard anything like it on Fine Music Radio. In fact, um, I haven't quite heard anything like it in existence, to be honest. There are other electronic art music works, but because of the great, almost limitless diversity of the electronic medium, um, the electronic art music works that do exist tend to be quite different and quite mm-hmm. unique to each composer. And I do feel that this piece is very much me. And as you said, there's so much you can do these days. Mm. I mean, you did use the switch idea very prominently during that piece, didn't you, to change mood? Yes, indeed. That is exactly what it did, just as it changes the degrees of speed of the rotating fan yeah, and switches blade, it on yeah. and off, switches the light on and off. So the switch acts as the catalyst in this piece to change, to jump ahead in time, to go back in time, etc. My guest on People of Note this week is a young South African composer, musician and teacher, Liam Pitcher, um, who has just released... 10 CDs of his improvisations uh, with Patrick van Blerk as the producer, I think. And our program is brought to you with the compliments of Peter Turin Productions. You know, there's a list here of musical occupations and skills which you have. And I'm intrigued that film music appears there. Have you delved into film music? I have. I've never written a full feature film length uh, soundtrack. I have done the sound design for short films, um, specifically a film that actually um, premiered at the Nantucket Film Festival last year. That was quite an achievement for me. And um, I produce pieces for short promotional videos and documentaries, primarily just to earn a living. Um, It's a different type of music, you know. It's not Mm -hmm. as expressive. I just try to give the directors exactly what they they want and they need. And um, because I have studied music and and have been producing electronic music for some time, it's quite easy for me to do that. But you also include here things like mixing and mastering. Is that something, a skill which you also have and which you need to use, I suppose, with things like electronic music? Yes, I think it's a very important skill to be able to do. Um, A lot of people rely on others to master their music and mix it down, and then you're relying on that person's interpretation, especially when you're dealing with complex music that has hundreds of individual track lanes, you know, hundreds of sounds that come together to form the work it can become an absolute headache for someone who doesn't understand you or your vision to mix these things down and to master them. So after having terrible experiences, even with Abbey Road mastering my electronic dance music, I just thought I need to be able to do this myself. And so it's something I've worked at for many years, and it's also something that uh, earns me a decent living on the side. And talking about something different, Mm. am I right in saying that you told me you were a club DJ (laughs) at one stage? Is this your dark past? Dark past, indeed. I actually, on on the album that Foghorn is on, there's a piece called Jaron Black. Now, Jaron Black is a type of black cigarette. It's the paper of the cigarette is black. It's made with mushrooms. And I used to smoke them back in nightclubs when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, when I was DJing there and getting up to all sorts of mischief, the piece very much is about the ego state, you know, more than the philosophical child state, which the other pieces try to explore. Very reflective on that. So, yes, I was in clubs DJing from age 14 or so onwards and uh, <laughs> got, got up to all sorts of mischief indeed. Well, we won't go there as much as I'm sure many people would like me to. <laughs> but um, the other thing I want to ask you about is your interest in percussion. Um, apparently, you mean handed a drum kit and percussion. Why, why is that part of your life? So when I first went to Bishops, they didn't actually offer the keyboard as an instrument. And so I had to choose something else because I was not at that stage grade one piano level, believe it or not. And... Um, I chose the flute at first, did that for about half a year. At the time, I really hated it. Now I love the sound of the flute. I actually am quite sad that I gave it up. But 
um, I digress, I then took up percussion and reduced that to drum kit after about two years. And um, eventually they did let me study the piano at Bishops, but that's a whole other story. But what did you do with the drum kit? In what way did you use your skill on a drum kit? So I've played some live concerts where I integrate um, electronic music. For example, I'll play with a DJ. They will play a DJ set, and I will improvise on my keyboard to custom-mapped synths that I've created, as well as on 10 or so percussion instruments that I bring to the concert. I've done two such concerts at Café Roo, the old Café Roo in town that is now closed down. Um, and that went very well. It was very interesting. We've actually got uh, that the second session is going to be released soon. Okay. Mm. And so is this continuing in your life, the drum kit, the percussion side? Not as much. I don't practice it nearly as much as I practice the piano, for example. I don't own a drum kit anymore. It was just too loud. Um, I suppose I could have gotten pads, but my kit just wasn't good enough. And it's a very expensive business to buy a decent kit, you know, and to keep it up. My passion lies in piano playing primarily, although I will always be able to play the drum kit. I'll always be able to play my percussion instruments. And I like incorporating that into my live performances where I can. And I hope that at one point I will have a live looping kit. And that's when the improvisation will expand beyond just the piano. I really want to bring these real sounds into live looping. I want to bring my percussion in, bring the voice in, and bring the piano and just create something quite special. Oh, that's interesting. It's the first time you've mentioned voice. Is that something that you're keen on, keen on to, to integrate? Yes. Um, into my own performances, I wouldn't say that I'm too keen on being a professional singer, um, not by any means, although I do sing in the Grotekerk Kamerata at uh, the NG Kirk in town, in Parliament Street. And um, Richer has taught his choir the Belcanto singing style, and it really is incredible how my voice has transformed since then. My goodness. Okay, Liam, let's have another piece of music. I'm all intrigued. I think this is another improvisation coming up. Yes, we've come full circle, it seems. Yes. Um, this is a fantasy improvisation in F minor that was, again, done at the Baxter Theatre, the same as the first piece that we heard. And um, at this point, we had warmed up, of course. And um, I think that it is one of my more preferable, to, to me at least, one of my more preferable improvisations. It's quite beautiful and uh, it's very neo-romantic.
part of an improvisation in F minor, a fantasy, played by Liam Pitcher and, well, thought out, composed in an improvisatory way by Liam, who is my guest on People of Note this week. The program brought to you the compliments of Peter Turin Productions. Just listening to that, you said neo-romantic, um, mm. made me think that um, people who are listening to this may actually want to get hold of them. And you said it's going to be able to be downloaded. Are they available yet, these things or not? The ones we've been listening to, certainly. I particularly like the two improvisations, the first one in C-sharp major and also this one we've just heard now. Mm. So both of those and the final piece that we'll be listening to shortly actually are not yet available. They will be within the next two months or so. But uh, right now you you can hear snippets of them on social media, but uh, you you cannot stream them or download them yet, unfortunately. Okay, well, that's something to look forward to. Mm. The other thing, looking at your website, just tell us, it's Liam Pitcher. What is your website? website address? It's just www.liampitcher.com. Okay, so it is an easy one. Mm-hmm. And um, I visited the website, and what did intrigue me, among other things, was the covers of these uh, improvisation volumes, which had very interesting paintings on it. Tell mm. me a little bit about what that's all about. So, my dear sister, who is a genius, and it frustrates me so much that she doesn't pursue a full-time career in art it's just not her passion although she is truly brilliant and she created every single one of those artworks save the artwork for my first session at the at the Baxter Theatre which is just a photo of me that was taken by Yasmin Hankel local photographer but my sister is truly a genius I simply gave her briefs for what it is that I wanted to express with these artworks and each time she got it right she just got it first time um but the artworks for these improvisations, interestingly, have absolutely nothing to do with the pieces. You see, the, the pieces quite re- satirically reflect on the way that most people put out their music these days, specifically in the popular music world. You know, they'll kind of name it something flippant, like helicopter or something ridiculous, you know, that has no correlation to musical meaning or what the music has to say. And so I thought, okay, so how can I kind of reflect on this? So I just chose very highly searched single word terms to name my all 100 improvisations and I themed them by albums so for example the first album are all named just colors that everyone knows the second is shapes types of lines that everyone knows and and so on and um, I may have been slightly mischievous in the album covers which I chose in this regard for each set of improvisations although the artworks themselves have absolutely nothing to do with the music interestingly enough but what I find the most interesting is that most people will probably try to draw their own kind of conclusions between these things and I'm looking very forward to seeing what people come up with given that really there is no thought process behind this completely it's it's just random it's arbitrary hence the mischievous side of you I was mm. thinking it's interesting to hear a mischievous side of you because I get the impression that you, you're quite an intense person. Um, do you relax? Do you listen to Haydn string quartets? or What music do you listen to when you're relaxing? Or do you not listen to music? It's not that I don't listen to music. It's simply that I don't relax. You see, um, I listen to music a lot, um, probably about four hours of music a day at least, um, at least while I work, you see. A lot of the work that I do on my own websites, etc., you know, there's no sound involved. So I can actually mm-hmm. listen to music and I listen to a lot of new music while I work. And uh, if anything jumps out at me, then I may re-listen to it, you know, more in depth, eyes closed, you know, full immersion. But um, I enjoy all types of music. Um, and my favorites are probably the great composers of the French late romantic, the Russian late romantic. My absolute favorites are Fauré, Debussy, Ravel, Scriabin. Um, I'm a huge fan, interestingly enough, of Karlheinz Stockhausen, who did things with electronic music that no one did, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm truly 
like in awe at what he did for the world of music. There are a lot of people who think that he was an absolute nutcase. Perhaps he was, but I think that he made some excellent contributions. But I digress. I love the music of Bach as well. Anything from, you know, the 1400s till now. From what we've heard in your improvisations, it's fairly tonal mostly, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's not terribly discordant. Maybe you take us in directions we're not quite expecting. Or are you laughing now? Am I wrong by saying it's tonal? No, well, I mean, all the pieces that I chose for the show are indeed tonal because <laughs> I chose them specifically for the show. Look, um, I was a hundred pieces. You can't repeat yourself too often. It will become absolutely boring and ridiculous. And I did try to explore as many different angles as I could in these improvisations. So some of them are more minimal. Some of them are more tonal. Some are neuromantic. Some are completely atonal and very experimental. So I urge anyone who enjoys that kind of thing to really go and explore the set, see what, what you can find. Volume 4 is a great place to start if you enjoy a more experimental, atonal, highly chromatic sound. Okay, but they're not available yet. Those are available, the oh, 10 okay. volumes. So volume okay. 4 of the 10 volume, but this new Baxter session is not yet available. Okay. Liam, we have to leave it there because uh, time is always in radio is against mm. us. It's been fascinating. I feel slightly more um, open to the concept of improvisation having spoken to you and intrigued even to listen to some of those CDs through. To I'm see. So I mean, I presume each CD must be the best part of an hour. Yes, just about. But with different tracks. It's not just one hour of improvisation, but it's sectionalized. So it's 10 albums way. with 10 tracks each. Yes. Oh, okay. And um, something that I didn't mention, which some people may find interesting, is that um, there were times where I would use the same motivic material in multiple pieces in the same key. So I have improvised suites within these albums, and I urge people to go and find those. They're not actually labeled on the albums themselves, although I have written about them on my website. Okay. And so finally, what are you going to leave us with to remember you? This piece is called The Great Chorale. It's something that, as I said, was premeditated. I just had this urge to play something that was long and very expressive and really was kind of like instrumental music of worship. And uh, this piece that is drawing on elements of chorale-like writing, um, beautiful, singable, melodic lines, but also more contemporary elements as well. It's all completely diatonically in A minor, so all on the white keys of the piano, save a couple of notes here and there. Um, and it really is quite pensive and meditative, and it goes on for 30 minutes, continually developing, and the <laughs> climax is near the end. But this is uh, going to be a YouTube exclusive, so this is the only premiere that we will hear of this on radio or anywhere <laughs> <Okay>. else. <laughs> Liam, it's been fascinating, and I know you also do have a spiritual side, don't you, which is important in your life? The most important thing. Okay, well, we'll explore that another time, perhaps. Well, I'm so looking forward to that other time. <laughs> okay. Liam Pitcher, thank you very much as we listen to The Great Chorale, or at least part of it. My guest on People of Note was Liam Pitcher. Thank you so much for having me, Rodney, and uh, I look forward to spending more time with you and hearing what you have to say about the improvisations when ah, we next meet. right, okay. <laughs> I might never speak to you again. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Thanks, Liam. All right.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Peter Turin presents Mel Brooks's hilarious musical comedy, The Producers, a record-breaking winner of 12 Tony Awards, starring Alan Committee, Terence Bridget, Earl Gregory, and a full knockout South African cast. Enjoy such comedy hits as I Want to Be a Producer, When You Got It, Flaunt It, Springtime for Hitler, and many more. Don't miss The Producers, on now until the 28th of March, only at Theatre on the Bay. For a comic start to your year, book now. FM.